This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back. Listening to Militantly Mixed. Hey, y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, a podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine. And I know last week I had announced that I needed, that like it wasn't working out to, to deliver last week's episode because I'd come back from Comic Con and all these other elements or whatever, and that I'd come back next week strong. Over the course of this last week, I have finally come to terms with the fact that I am knee-deep in, or maybe neck-deep in, major depression right now. I've been fighting it off for several months. I was hoping that because I've had some happy days that I wasn't actually in major depression, but I absolutely have to admit that I am now. Uh, I haven't been able to cope with a lot of the things that I have going on right now because I don't have my normal coping mechanisms in place. And I am beginning to make mistakes that I wouldn't normally make on the shows, delivering things later than I prefer to deliver them, uh, missing appointments, which is very strange for me, or I'm missing them because I put it in the wrong time zone, things like that. And I'm just not able to face some of the things that I have going on in my personal life because I'm putting all my energy into the shows, uh, which is still something I want to do. I want to put all my energy into the shows, but I've, I've hit that window or I've hit that point right now where you know how you're so bogged down by something or you're so stressed out about something that working harder actually is a detriment that's what I got going on right now uh because I've been messing up and because I've been struggling I've been doubling down on my efforts and making more mistakes I'm not doing it as cleanly as I normally do and the disappointment that I experience after that is making it really hard to just get through the day-to-day. And even though Militantly Mixed was the thing that got me off of the couch last year when I was coming out of major depression, well, coming out of major depression because I had the excitement of Militantly Mixed, I was under the impression that as long as Militantly Mixed exists, depression will not impact me. And that's silly. I'm a person who suffers from chronic persistent depression. I'm always going to have depression. Uh, But the bouts of major depression, I thought I could fight off as long as I was podcasting. And right now, my problem is a combination of I've had a shit ton of things happen in my life over the last several months, which you've heard about some of it. My cat dying, my other cat sick, health problems, work problems, leaving a job, starting a new job, losing a job. Things like that, Uh, some stuff that I haven't shared, but mostly because I don't understand what's happening and so I can't share things like the the health issues that I'm having right now. Uh, So it's it's heavy. It's too too much right now for me. It doesn't mean that in a month when I come back, I won't still be dealing with this stuff, but I will have lessened the burden a little bit by lessening what is stressing me out on a regular basis, which is I'm not delivering the quality episodes you need deserve as my audience and that I need to produce for my happiness (laughs) oh shit it's so stupid that I said it that way but whatever that's what I said so I'm gonna take a month 
off. I'm going to take the entire month of August off. I will engage on social media here and there, but not as frequent as I normally do. And I will be answering emails. But if you reach out to me because you would like to be a guest on the show, I'm going to be scheduling appointments for September, not for August. I am committing to not recording any interviews during the month of August so that I can decompress. Because what I think has been happening is because I haven't been dealing with my own depression, every time I get a heavy story, I'm absorbing it. Like I do all the time. But at this point, I've absorbed, 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 and I haven't squeezed out at all. I have taken little breaks here and there, but not cut off enough to squeeze that sponge out. So that's what I'm going to be doing. And actually going forward, I am going to change the schedule of the show to accommodate taking legitimate breaks for my mental health, but also to keep the level of quality that you deserve as an audience and that my guests deserve as guests. So going forward, I'm going to take this month of August off and then I'm going to come back in September, October, November and go three days, three months straight. And then I'm going to take a break in December again, whole month off, which I think times out pretty well because last December, our listenership cut off by like more than half. And I think it's because it's the holidays, people are traveling or they're or whatever, they're not engaged on podcasts as much. Um, And of course, I've only lived through one December while podcasting, but it's a possible trend. I'll figure that out this year. But I'll take the month of December off, come back January, February, March, take April off, come back May, June, July, take August on, off, and so on and so forth. I think I've seen this floating around in some of the podcasting social resource groups that I'm in. And also someone made a comment about this on the Black Radical Queer site recently. And it's making sense to me right now. I think because this show deals with uh, heavy emotion in some cases, sometimes trauma, things like that, it's, it can be a lot to absorb. And since I'm absorbing it so much every week, because I don't just talk to one person a week. Sometimes I talk to up to four people a week. I'm just releasing one episode a week. That has stacked up and I haven't been releasing it or exercising it as well as I was in the beginning. That's just it. So. I'm looking forward to this break. It was really hard to come to this decision, especially since I've been hinting that I was like, I need to take a break or this is going to be delayed, but I'll be back next week and I'll be great. I wasn't doing a good job at taking that break or or doing what I needed to do to be able to disconnect. So I'm looking forward to this because it's definitely something I need. I can admit that I need it now. I am afraid, though, of losing the audience while I'm gone. And that's a legitimate fear. I've been talking to other podcasters about this on our researchers groups, and they all say that as long as you tell your audience what's happening and you point them in the direction of of other episodes that they could go back to listen to during your absence, that that's really helpful. But mostly that if the people have been writing with you from the beginning, they know that you're a human person. And if you need to take a break, you need to take a break. So I'm finally listening. I'm listening to the other people who are making those suggestions and I'm listening to my own body, which is telling me I'm going to fucking shut down on you if you don't stop. (laughs) That's basically what happened. Uh, I was kind of complaining or uh, not complaining. I was kind of uh, unburdening myself through social media recently on on my private Facebook and someone said to me, um, it's a fellow podcaster, Corbin Blake said, take a break before you're broken. And that really hit home. It made a lot of sense. I am on the verge of being broken. And if I allow myself to break, 
I am not going to be able to come back and do this show. And this show is everything to me. I need to do this show. But I also need to know when I need to take a break. So I'm going to take that break now so that I don't become broken. And I will come back decompressed and hopefully in a better mindset to be able to produce the show at the level that y'all deserve it. So I hope you'll ride with me during this break. I hope you understand what I have going on so that I can take this time off. I will engage in social media, but probably not that much. So if you are listening to the show, if you want to know what's going on, that's how I will be communicating what's going on. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all at Militantly Mixed. On Facebook, the page is actually something you can post on it. If you find articles and things like that, you want to share, you want to get in discussions with other members of the, of the page, please do that. And in fact, do me a favor and take care of the community while I'm gone. <laughs> uh, post on the page. Don't, I don't need to be the only person posting. Post on the page. Share your thoughts. Engage on the summer reading discussion. Don't worry about the, you know, it's due by this date and this date. I know I posted that, but don't worry about that. Read the book at your pace. Engage in the different parts there. Um, there are people reading it and participating. I'm also reading it. I have failed to engage on the page yet just because I've been, ugh, I've just not been functional the way that I should. And so I will start to engage, but I need to know that I can break away from everything else until I can kind of focus and do that. I am reading the book, though, alongside of you. In fact, I've been taking the book to the beach with me lately to read at the beach, and that has been very healing for me. So participate in the summer reading. If you haven't already got the book, the book is called Mostly White. It is a novel written by Allison Hart, who was a guest on Militantly Mixed back in November. And actually, I'm going to share, I'm going to reshare her episode so that you all can uh, re-engage with the book and then we'll, we'll, we'll do that. So what I'm going to do during this break, rather than record any additional episodes, I'm going to rerun, even though you can access them now or whatever, I'm going to rerun some of the episodes that I've gotten the most, either the most interaction about, the most emails or social media posts about it, or that they've had the most repeat downloads or things like that, because it seems to be, this is the episode that people really like, and it's connecting them to the show, things like that. But before I start those episodes, the, this episode I'm going to share with you today is a rerun of the Allison Hart episode which is about the mostly white novel and her as a mixed race person. I'm going to share that with y'all today to hopefully get you excited about this book. I want you to go onto Amazon or to your indie book, um, independent bookstore somewhere in your town and ask them to order it for you. There's also a link that I'll include in the show notes for being able to purchase it through an independent distributor to keep the money in your community or outside of big corporate pockets, you know, as best as you can. Uh, I'm going to share this episode with you. I'm not going to record anything new for it. I'm just going to attach it to the end of this in, in the current state that it was and, or in the state that it was at the time I recorded it and try to get you interested in the mostly white novel for reading. Uh, I need I need to take this break and I'm sorry uh, to to do it like this, to keep trying to take a break and then not take a break and then take a break and not take a break and things. I'm finally just going to force myself to take breaks at particular times of year because <laughs> I'm an organized person and it, that'll make sense in my mind going forward. Uh, so before I wrap up today, uh, just a reminder, please follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. Engage in the community and please take care of the community while I'm gone. Participate, 
and help grow the community outside of myself. You know, I mean, I'm, I'll be a participant, but uh, I don't need to be the leader of it necessarily, of the militantly mixed community. Uh, what's next? Oh, last week I announced that I've finally started to set goals, fundraising goals for the show. Uh, I am trying by the end of August to hit $100 a month by the end of August. We only have to get $30 more a month pledged to make that possible. Uh, so if you go to patreon.com slash militantly mix, that is a monthly sponsorship uh, of the show specifically. There's different reward levels depending on what level you select. You can donate as low as a dollar a month to as high as anything you wish. But I think the cap is at $50 for me for what I've set out there so far. On that, you'll get access to early and exclusive content. Uh, I will get better about producing that once I start to reorganize my how I put the show together during my break. But there's swag there. There's buttons. There's t-shirts, things like that. Uh, there is also the paypal.me slash militantly mix that is not a monthly sponsorship but you can drop anything as low to as dollar to as high as anything you wish both platforms for donation feed into the main hustle media bank account it does not go into the charmaine bank account uh, and that will go into continuing to improve the show if i can achieve a hundred dollars a month by the end of august that will go a long way in uh, cleaning up the audio and things like that and it uh, continues to help us with the hosting fees of the podcast it helps with the hosting fees of the website and it helps with the software that i edit the show from that would cover that and it would be great if uh if by september we can achieve by the end of september we can achieve 200 bucks a month by the end of october 300 bucks a month by the end of november 400 bucks a month and by the end of december 500 dollars a month 500 dollars a month will allow me to be able to hire a part-time support person that can ease some of the burden of the busy work for the show so that I can commit to the content of the show. $500 a month would be feasible to hire a person part-time. And at this point, it's all I really do need is a part-time support person. But I don't want to ask anybody to do that for free. And I don't want to not be able to pay somebody what they're worth. I'm just going to be able to have to do it as a couple times a week. And that will be between the expenses I have for the show and the expenses for a part-time employee, $500 a month. By the end of this year would be great. Going forward, we'll set higher goals and things like that. Ultimately, I would love to be one of those podcasters that sustains their full life on podcasting. Like the My Favorite Murder Girls for some reason. I don't know why because I, I don't particularly like the show, but they make $100,000 a year. <laughs> don't know how on the show alone they they have a huge following i've tried to listen i get really bored um and uh but i'm also totally following their model because i'm trying to figure out what they did to uh to be able to live that life now for the other shows uh blurred comics is going to run a full show this week and then going forward during the month of august it'll probably be a mix of uh blurred vision only episodes and or Blurred Vision with a guest, uh, or we might rerun a movie review. It all depends on scheduling, so I will be working with Blurred Vision on that. Since we're a team, I can't really put that out myself until I talk to my partner, and we'll work out those pretty much on a weekly basis. And so stay tuned to the social media for Blurred Comics for those updates. And a By Furious podcast it is a new podcast, and I really hate that I'm already taking a break, but part of the burden of developing last week's episode was that the people who I had, who 
had scheduled appointments with me canceled at the very last minute, which gave me no time to find a replacement guest for that particular topic. And then I traveled and then I came back and I had to catch up on all the, the work to produce the other episodes for the other shows. And it just didn't come together. So I'm going to use this break also to retool how I gather the information to put out on that on those shows so that when we come back in September, By Furious will run more well-oiled than it has in the first three episodes. So that's what's going on. But I think that's it. I mean, that's almost 20 minutes of me talking about just taking a break. <laughs> so it's probably a good place to cut off. Uh, I'm going to jump over to some music. And then when we come back, I will be airing the mostly white novel episode of Militantly Mixed with guest Allison Hart as a rerun for the show. Stay with me, y'all. I will be back. I just need to reorganize my my life so that I can deal with this uh, this depression stuff. I absolutely need to deal with it. So stick with me. I will be back. And um, don't forget to be your mixed ass selves. back for another episode of Militantly Makes, and my guest today is Allison Hart. She is the author of Mostly White. Allison, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody and let's get into it. Hey, thanks so much. I'm so glad to be on here and thanks for the invitation. And yes, my name is Allison and I am mixed race and I've written a book which is a mixed race narrative of generations of women based on my mixed ancestry. I am African-American, Passamaquoddy, Native American, Irish, Scottish, and English. And I'm just so glad to be here to talk with you about mixedness and just really inform and let people know what's, what's happening, what's out there. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to talk to you too. Are we uh, so people who listen to the show know that I do have sort of pre conversations with my guests just to to kind of get a, a lay of the land for um, for the people I'm speaking with. And and when you and I got to speak, I you know I wasn't even prepared necessarily for the direction that our conversation went because that's that's what happens. We're just getting to know each other and trying to see what aspects of mixedness we're going to talk about. And besides the book, apart from the book, which I am extremely excited about as a mixed race person not getting access to narrative stories about not just mixed people, but in this case, multi-generational mixed people. Some of the some of the topics that you and I discussed were also very like, oh, yes, we need to talk. We need to have these conversations. And uh, part of that having to do with sort of the trauma surrounding forced mixedness that sent, that tends to have happened in the United States, especially with indigenous people and with people that were descendants of slaves. So I'm ready to get into everything <laughs> everything that you want to talk about because mm-hmm. every little 
bit that we add to the show just paints a way bigger picture for our audience of what it is to be mixed in this world. Well, I was thinking about that and I was thinking about how much I longed for a reflection of my own experience. And I would look through it, look for it through books and film and TV. And there are some authors out there that I just want to identify because they've paved the way. And that's Nella Larson. And she was a a mixed African-American writer from the Harlem Renaissance and uh, Jean Rise who was, uh, wrote in the 1930s also Danzy Senna and she wrote a novel called Caucasia in the 90s and Heidi Doro and I believe she's she's lo- she's in LA I mean I think that's where she's from she wrote um, also a, from a mixed point of view. She is mixed herself. So, so the the impetus to write this is just just having a story that I really needed to put down. And as you said, it also reflects uh, intergenerational trauma, and the characters struggle with that. Yeah, yeah. And it starts in 1890, and it goes up until 1986. And it starts with a mixed black and native girl who is is being um, uh, punished for speaking her language at an Indian residential school. So that's the opening mm-hmm. of the book. Mm. So, so, so these things, these, these traumas that, that happen to people, that it, it carries on from generation. And that's one of the themes in the book. And, that, and that's difficult. And being human is difficult. And, and, and mixed people are people. And mixed people uh, struggle with their humanity like everybody else. So I'm not trying, mm. to, trying to make anybody less than human because we all are. It's just from it's just these characters are 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 mixed. And so that's the um, narrative that is sort of it's still underground. <laughs> it's still underground. Yeah, it's it's so amazing to think about how most of the ethnic groups in the world wouldn't exist without at some point somebody mixing somewhere and it becoming a new thing. You know, um, it just it takes hundreds of years, even thousands of years to start to see those kinds of changes. Uh, I talk about this a lot in in terms of explaining to people why I choose the word black versus African-American for part of my identity is because I don't see African facial features within my family. And I don't because we don't have a tie to any African culture. I I don't feel comfortable. If, If anything, I feel a cultural appropriation of Africanness if I make that claim, because to the best of my knowledge, my family had been here for I mean, I I could count back six generations post slavery. Mm-hmm. And um, and so however many generations there were before that, I don't know when we lost our Africanness. I have no idea. So I don't feel comfortable making that claim. And 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 so I think of us as its own. We are our own ethnic group now. Black Americans are their own ethnic group. They're not. I've, I have recently discovered that we were uh, descend from tribes that are in current day Gabon. But like, I don't feel that I have that connection. I, I have a lot of research to do to be able to feel connected to that culture. And so I think we have become our own thing. And part of that happened through mixing, traumatic mixing in the beginning, you know, and even now, mm. maybe to a degree, there's probably some traumatic mixing that goes on pressure or, or whatever in, in different situations. But to to become what we are here right now, people needed to, to do this mixing. And yet it's still this weird thing that is exotic and new 
to mm. people and it doesn't make any sense to me that it's not more understood as a thing or that we have more representation in our media, in our art, in our books, and in, in our culture as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess what's particular in, in this novel, which is also particular in my family, is um, my mother's side of the family, which is Black and Native American and Irish and Maine. Maine. Now, people think of Maine as, oh, that's like only white people live in Maine. Right. Well, what's ironic about that is that's where my roots are. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the Passamaquoddy have been there 30,000 years, right? Uh, and they're still there. Yeah. And uh, the Irish came over and African Americans, they came up uh, through the Underground Railroad, a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so my family has, have literally been mixing Irish, Black, and Native American for, I mean, since prior to slavery. So definitely. And so I, it isn't like what you're saying. It's it, it's not this exotic thing, you know. Right. We've we it makes people have been around. It's just that we haven't been allowed a space. We haven't been allowed a, a voice or a narrative, right? Yeah. So that's a big reason why I wrote this book to uh, to really flesh out also my mother's story. It was is in many ways. It was very difficult for her, what her upbringing, and she had a very difficult childhood. So she never talked about it. And then I didn't get to know the, um, you know, the black side of my family. I didn't get to know mm. anybody. Mm. So there's this incredible wound and this incredible loss and this incredible longing to want to understand. And that was another uh, major pull for me to, to put these words down. Right. So the one of the interesting things that you you brought up when we when we first spoke, and it's it's something that I I don't have words for, but it's feelings that I definitely have when we talk about that intergenerational trauma. Is it's not just whatever the generation above you is uncomfortable sharing because they're dealing with their own trauma. It's also their lack of realizing you are going to receive trauma from their lack of sharing, if that makes sense. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, the, the re- where this comes from in me has more to do with actually my Japanese side of the family. They don't talk about anything. And even within the family, you keep it really tight because you don't want your aunt, your great aunt or your, you know, grandmother, great grandmother or something like that to know this thing. And so when I was growing up, when I would be with my mother's side of the family, I would have to hide that we were black from them. And so all my cousins and, and everything would have questions about why my brother and I were so dark in the summer. And we would just, you know, they would ask us what our father was and we'd say American and whatever that meant to them, which I found out years later turned out to be Mexican. They thought we were Mexican that, uh, that, you know, I, I had this trauma that I didn't understand until I was an adult. I was feeling of this lack of being able to be myself around my family mm. and knowing how to perform as soon as I was am- amongst the Japanese. Like I knew I wasn't black anymore and I mm. didn't, but my grandma was so tight lipped about a lot of things and it took years and years and years for little bits of information to, to filter out. And so while I'm sitting here dealing with my trauma about being black and having to hide it, I didn't know that she's dealing with trauma. So 
there's all these things that were being passed on to me sort of subtly through just how quiet we were. And as that those bits of information starts coming out later on in life, I realize, oh, I'm dealing with I'm not just dealing with my own trauma. I'm dealing right. with the suitcases of trauma that right. precede me. And I don't really have I don't get to talk about it enough. So I don't I don't really have words put together for for what it is about this that I want to that I want to talk about as it pertains to mixedness. I mm-hmm. think, you know, like you're saying, your your mother not being able to talk about her feelings and, and the gap that that created for you. And you wonder what she inherited as well. Um, yeah. And that, and I, the novel, it's, it's fictional, but it is a narrative and it, it's a narrative that everybody needs to know or feel rooted, right. in who they are. Yeah. And, and I don't know if this is, uh, you know, particular to a mixed, you know, for a mixed experience having this, but in, in my particular case, I, I really just had to create a narrative for my mom. Right. And, and her ancestors, because honestly, I, I don't know exactly what happened. I don't know. I mean, I did a lot of research. You can look at, I mean, and that's how, you know, the story was brought about as well. Do you find some kind of healing in piecing together a narrative that even, even if it's not 100% true, yes. it fills in a blank for you? Yes, absolutely. And that's why I love fiction and historical yeah. fiction. But yes, absolutely. Because the book, it, it's like putting down, putting down the bags, right? You're talking about huh. the baggage. And I, I often say to my son, I have a son who's multiracial. And he's, um, you know, 18. And I said, look, I wrote that book because I didn't want to give you that. I didn't want to give you my baggage. No, I mean, he's going to have baggage. Everybody does. I mean, I really, really tried not to give him what was given to me. And I knew I had to throw some down. Right. You know, you're carrying so much. You're like, okay, I've got to put this in a in a form. Right. Or or else. Right. So, yeah. I mean, so there's healing. There's healing in um, in expression. Absolutely. I, yeah, I agree. And I think it's it's evident in some of the guests that I've had where they start out in a place of uncertainty or discomfort in who they are as a mixed race person. And part of that is inherited because their parents, especially biracial people, I, I find this to be and this is, you know, non-academic, this is just my own uh, small sample size, but especially in biracial people who were raised by the non-of-color parent, mm-hmm. um, the the non-of-color parent can't prepare them for being a person of color. And right. they can't share the all the, the trauma and the history and the beauty and all that kind of stuff of their other cultures in a way that is helpful to that child. And if they don't have access to that other parent, then all the pain that comes along with that as well. But even in the ones that have both parents present, those parents as monoracial people have no idea what their child is going through. And they don't even know, I think, in some cases to even consider that their child is going through something. Um, Hmm. So when in puberty or, or times of bullying, when they come home and they're just like, mom, dad, this happened and, you know, blah, blah, and kids are so mean, they just think it's kids are so mean. They're not actually realizing that the trauma is deeper than that because it has to do with not only do other kids not know who I am, I don't know who I am. Right. You need to help me get there. And in my case, I was lucky because both sides of my family were mixed. And while there were cases in which we weren't allowed to talk about our mixedness, 
I was still surrounded by people that were mixed and, you know, not a one of us was the same color or had the same hairstyle or hair type or whatever, you know. So I had access to that diversity within my family to make me feel a little bit more comfortable in my mixed race skin, even when I didn't Mm -hmm. understand what was going on. But I, when we're trying not to pass on that trauma, and I'm not going to have children, but um, I, I think about this a lot in terms of people on the show. Like, what what would we do as mixed race people when we decide to become parents to try to right. create our mixed kids? Like, what they are going to be? Well, yeah, and I'm I I'm going to say that as a as a parent. Um, keeping conversations going is really important. And me and my son, we're, we're, we're still having conversations about it, yeah. about identity and race and mixedness and this. And I've come to a place with myself where, whereas before I was, I was seeking out, I was seeking out, you know, finding a place with this or that, or, you know, having, being embraced, being fully embraced by some group. And I, mm. for me now, I'm so, I feel so liberated because that's, I'm not asking yeah. a group, any group really to um, let me in or, or what, what have you. Right. Right. I, I, I define my own mixedness and I take, and I, defi- I hold everything I am. When did and you start I, to I, feel like that? Do um, you remember? It's probably been a, probably in, Started a, probably around in my forties, yeah. Because right. I'm so that's where I'm at right now too. Yeah, yeah. So that's it. And and when my son was going through stuff, I just check in with him. And fortunately, he has he grew up with a lot of other kids who are mixed. Mm. And the, this is the one thing that that has been very liberating for me is um, having the sense that I have a fluidity around race in it, and I'm okay with it. That yes. it's not this concretized thing that on the outside it is, right? You're this, 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 or this. Right. It's very, you know, you know, like a box. So, but what's so liberating for me is that, no, I'm all of this. And guess what? I can have a conversation with you and this conversation can, can change, can change me. And I can yeah. gain even another level of understanding of what this means to be mixed in this body right now. Yeah. Because I feel, and, or I can, um, you, you know, listen to somebody else in their experience. I can, who, who I don't look anything like, right. Mm-hmm. Or, or I can go back in history and I can read history and I can see, you know, what was going on then and how does that reflect my experience now? So this is an ever changing state. That that's- there's a sense that there's a sense of fluidity and impermanence around identity. And that's, I don't, I, I don't even know that. I, that's I think a lesson that most- hard learned because yeah. I feel that, you know, when you're a preteen and you're going into your, your teenage years, people are like, find yourself and, you know, try to figure out who you are or whatever. And so you, you pick out your type, right? I'm a jock. I'm a cheerleader. I'm a nerd. I'm a whatever band geek or something like that. And everybody has their type. Okay, now we figured out this identity. Um, but if you have this other layer of, Am I black enough? Am I white mm-hmm. enough? Am I Japanese enough in right. my case or, or whatever? You're dealing with that whole thing. And people don't realize that that is the most intense thing mm-hmm. for, you know, at, for a mixed race kid. That's the most intense thing. But you got to hide it because you can't be weird. And so mm-hmm. you keep you keep like kind of tapping it down, tapping it down. 
and then forget about if there's other things going on like you know me trying to figure out if I was gay or straight when I was in when I was 14 was a whole nother Mm -hmm. element of something that was coming in and um and we're sitting here we're trying to figure out who we are and then we're 20 and we're like we're 20 now we know who we are and different things change us and by the time we get to our 30s we think we're established we think we know who we are and yet there's still moments when if a black person missed me if they didn't realize I was black or or give me some sort of indication that they could tell I was black then I was deflated because oh I don't Mm -hmm. present black enough and you know like who am I because I identify as mostly black so I'm so confused and now at 41 um, I, it started probably about 37, 38, where I was just like, you know, I've always been a person that would check every box and I would take my stand for being a mixed race person, but I didn't understand what that mixed race identity really meant until getting a little bit older. And I know that it's fluid. That means sometimes I'm professional and sometimes I'm, you know, like a stereotype, like sometimes that legitimately happens. Um, if I'm with my grandmother and my Japanese grandmother. I change my physical form shifts into a Japanese, a different type of body language because I'm paying mm. respect to my, to my matriarch grandmother. You know, mm-hmm. when, when I'm around black people, my posture is different. And when I'm around white people, I'm really super guarded because even though essentially I'm half white, I'm very uncomfortable around large groups of white people because I didn't grow up around them. Mm-hmm. So there's all these things that are happening and it took, it took hitting like 40, 37, 38 before it was starting to get there. And then by 40, I was like, I'm just mixed. Like, that's just it. Mm-hmm. No one's going to tell me what I am. You don't right. get to tell me I'm exotic. I'm going to stop you right. right there. You know, all that right. kind of stuff. Stop and that right was there. a hard lesson to finally learn because I thought I had it figured out the whole time. <laughs> well, yeah. So well, we don't have to stop evolving. Yeah, we can we can keep evolving, you know, and these these labels are just labels. <laughs> yeah, you know, and some of them are self-imposed, but some of them when they're not self-imposed and we try to force ourselves to behave accordingly, that's where that's when you start getting those threads of trauma that are so thin, they're hard to pluck out. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's just a what's what's difficult. And I can imagine it's difficult for younger people. Like when you're saying when they're coming up and they're it's developmental, they're they're looking to identify as a group. They're looking, you know, they're looking for that concrete kind of this is what who I am. And then there from there, they can go out in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. Because they have this sense and it it's it's you know, that's that's developmental. Right. I mean, you need to go through that. Yeah. And so that is, it is challenging. It is challenging to be mixed and, and go and sit in the cafeteria. Where do you sit? And, you know, oh, I know. You know it's like, it, and, and at the same time, it gets you, for, for me, it, it has enabled me to keep coming back to myself and keep going deeper because all, because I had to question everything. Right. Right. So if this group wasn't this going to like me, because if people are just going to keep acting human, because it doesn't matter what group I would go to, right? Yeah. Human beings are human beings wherever they go. <laughs> you know, maybe have, so they're going to act human. Some people are going to like you. Some people aren't. Some people are going to think you're not this enough. Some people are definitely not going to think, you know, right? Right. So it's just, yeah. It's nice to get to that place now. I got to say, I love being 40. Um, like I, I, it's nice to be at that place where you can just be like, oh gosh, I don't care about your opinion of what I am. 
Yes. It's my entire, I own my entire identity and I code switch like the best code switch ninja on the planet. You know, I can be Japanese, I can be black, I can be hood black, I can be, you know, whatever. Like I can switch depending on who I'm at and it is entirely at my prerogative to do so. And it is so amazingly liberating, like you say, to finally be at that place where like I, the way I kind of describe it as being my mixed ass self, like Finally, mm-hmm. I get to be this. Or it's like, I'm not trying to get in your club, you know? Right. <laughs> it's like, I'm just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. it's, it's awesome. It's a, yeah, it's actually kind of nice to talk to someone, too, that, that is at that place where they're feeling liberated through their mixedness. I, I was speaking to a guest last week who, for him, he has a friend who's biracial who is suffering about his identity. And it manifests in very toxic masculinity type of ways. And he, it hurts him because he says, like, I don't understand why my friend finds so much pain in his mixedness because I'm empowered by it. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, maybe he was lucky that he didn't go through that patch of time where he felt the pain through it. But to hear, you know, those two types of things like this is this is a full picture of mixedness. If you don't know who you are, you're not comfortable who you are. You're going to have all this trauma. And it's going to manifest in really, really ugly ways. And if you're empowered by it, you know, then we have this wonderful chance where you are celebrating this person because they've done this. And I get to celebrate you because you've written a book. And, you know, we get to celebrate this guy because he's got an album. And it's awesome. But if you're not there yet, you miss out on that. And it's so hard to crack that shell in people. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's uh, everybody is is, you know, has their own journey with it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Just as long as I I, for me, as long as I was going to keep looking outside myself for affirmation for my ancestors and my ancestry and what's in my blood. Right. I'm just disempowering myself. Do you find yourself ever angry at yourself for craving some of the things, some of that validation in mixedness? You mean like from mixed people, a validation or mixed, no, or like just from, from whatever parts of, group, of your mixed history? Yeah, oh, your mixed you know, I've just accepted it. Like I will always have a feeling in terms of since I was never had the chance to really know my black relatives outside of my family. And a lot of them are black mixed. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. There's a wound there. So I'm just very aware of it. Mm. And I really understand it. And, and, um, and again, that's another reason why I wrote the book, so that I could kind of un- unearth that, that side of my family. Yeah. Um, so I think it's definitely, I mean, you know, I'm still, I'm still human and we still have these needs. But when I was at, I was in Utah of all places. Oh yeah. And I, my <laughs> publisher, Tory House Press, that hi Tory House Press, they're in, they're in Utah. <laughs> Utah. And, um, so they had me do a few readings and I went out there and I was at this bookstore in Ogden and there were some folks from Black Lives Matter there. And it was a very mixed crowd. And, um, it was the, the, these young ladies, these young teenagers, they were mixed and they spoke about being mixed in black in Utah. It was very powerful. Mm. And so when I, I shared some of the book and I, as I looked out, I just looked and I saw, I saw my family, um, my mom's side of the family, because I have gone to reunions and we're all, we're, we're more connected now. And I just looked out and I saw all these different faces from blonde to black. And I thought, oh, 
that's my family. Right. And I look and and I said to these young young girls, we were talking a lot about mixedness and the difficulty of it. And I and I just said, well, I'm going to be honest with you. There's not a lot of times where I get this feeling that I'm belonging in this. It's very rare that I get this real sense that I'm belonging in a space. Right. Right. But when I do get that feeling, it's so precious. It's so, so, so that's the feeling. And when I, when I, whenever I've done readings, that's the feeling that I get. And especially at that uh, bookstore booked on 25th in Ogden. <laughs> that was a bookstore. I'm, I'm doing a shout out for them. That was a bookstore that I read at and I had that experience where it was a sense of belonging and it's so precious. It is. And, and it's an oddly rare thing too, because especially any monoracial people, no matter what color they are or lack of color they are, they will never fully understand. Like they, everybody understands in group, out group, you know, that you're not a part of the Thing. If you step into a space where people don't look like you, everybody understands that kind of stuff. We don't understand why we do it. We're just compelled to treat people this kind of way. But like, you, there's a weird sense of comfort that I think monoracial people don't even realize they have in spaces where people look like them. The only time they're aware of it is when they're in, in spaces where people don't look like them. Where with us, literally every single space we step into is this, mm -hmm. you know, where people do not look like us. And I mean, shoot, even within my mixed race family, nobody, like some of us don't look alike. So um, yeah, to try to- I know there, that feeling. You yeah. know, and you're like, who do I connect with? You know, you try to find, that's when you try to find other little ways to bond you. But when you're in a space where people are mixed and they get to talk about being mixed, it's, it's such a weird, amazing, sad, relief, happy. It's like all the things you have all, mm -hmm. all the feelings rush through your, your body in that moment. And the weird thing is, is that I can count how many times that's happened to me. Mm -hmm. And to try to tell that to a monoracial person, they're like, really? You can count how many times you felt like you belong somewhere? Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, I oh. literally can. I actually, not literally in the way that a valley girl uses literally, but actually, literally, I can tell you how many times I have felt like I belonged in a space or that I was with quote unquote, my people. Yeah. You know, I get that feeling like when uh, I did a reading recently in, in LA at the library with um, multiracial, uh, multi multiracial a, people, mass, mass multiracial, multiracial Americans, Americans of Southern, of Southern California. California. Okay. <laughs> so mass. Shout out to right. Sonia. She yeah, was Sonia. on the show. So, yeah. So that being there, like I, I feel so comfortable. I feel so comfortable in mixed communities and, and reaching out. It feels like then again, again, like what I was saying before, it's such a precious feeling. I, I don't take it. I, I don't take it for granted. Mm -mm. So there's so and oh, I wanted to say one other thing. Oh, yeah. That movie Loving. Uh -huh. I took my son to see it. Right. And uh, and I looked and I couldn't believe it. And it was the fact I said to him afterwards, that's the first time in it's taken me 50 years because I'm like in my, I'm 52. I it took me 50 years to finally see something that reflected my experience. Yeah. Right. And then I, and then I turned to him and I said, "Oh my gosh, that's that must be what white people feel like all the time." <laughs> no, that's a swear. I, I said the same thing. <laughs> I was like, "Wow!" I was just getting a little glimmer. Yeah, I thought that was. And you totally feel like you get why people feel some kind of power, right? You're like, because I, I had a similar moment. I went to, uh, so here in Los Angeles, there's the Japanese American Museum. And a lot of times they, they do so, do some sort of mixed race or mixed Japanese 
um, either screenings of movies or readings of books and things like that. They they have a they do cater to it. They also um, are one of the locations that the Hapa Fest, which is a mixed Japanese festival every mm-hmm. year, um, is one of their locations. Is that as well? And a couple months back, I went to an event that was for um, it was about the Japanese War Bride era. So there was three different tiers of Japanese War Brides, and half of the people there on, on the speaking panel were black and Japanese. And I so rarely, like, there's a lot of times that I've been around mixed white and and Japanese people, but I'm so rarely around black and Japanese people. And it's like the one time in my life where I legitimately saw faces that I was like, oh, that's what I look like. Because I always thought I looked black with yellow skin. Mm -hmm. I wasn't noticing the Asian in my face and in my features and and things like that. And so I'm around all these, uh, like, some of them are professors and authors and um, documentarians and things like that. And we catch eyes, you know, mm, like from across mm-hmm. the room. And there's that an instant acknowledgement, mm. like, hey, you look like me. Oh, and yeah. um, I get little pockets of mixedness here and there. But that one in particular was really like, mm-hmm. wow. <laughs> wow. You're so, we are so powerful for each other when we, when we, I mean, we can be such powerful influences on each other in positive way, right? I mean, like that moment was so powerful for you and that acknowledgement. So that's really it. The validation from other people. It's a weird thing because I hate that sometimes I still crave it. And and that's kind of why I asked you the question of, do you ever get angry at yourself for, for sort of needing moments like that? Um, is because there's times when I think like even now when I feel as comfortable in my mixedness as I am that I still have these moments of like if a if a, a black person that I have no other interaction with besides they walk past and say what's up sis and I'm like yes someone saw me you know mm-hmm. that I still crave these moments or or these bits of connection because I don't have a group. I legitimately mm-hmm. don't. And the closest to having a group I would have is being around other mixed people. And I've only realized through this show that I actually, while I have been craving validation on the black side and on the Japanese side primarily, um, around mixed people or through this show, I realized, oh, I have far more in common with mixed race people than I do of people from my own ethnic groups. So you and I share far more of a, of a shared history, a shared uh, culture, a shared understanding because we're biracial or we're multiracial multicultural multinational than if i just walk up to an average black person or japanese person on the street Hmm. even though i share an actual culture with them yeah i don't i don't know i guess i'm not so hard on myself because i guess you know i see if you spent i I spent my childhood like having no clue not understanding not seeing anybody reflected to me uh, that I felt in the outside that I felt represented a positive person of color. I didn't even identify. I mean, I had no understanding of my identity, like zero. Mm. So I guess I'm kind of, I, I I can have my moments where, oh, I'd like to belong. And then I don't. And it's like, okay. I mean, it's just being human. I mean, I, we're human. Of course. Yeah. That's, that's just like a human need. And so being mixed is that we're, we're, we're on, we're on a daily basis kind of being challenged around that. Right. And so that's not easy all the time. I mean, that that's not emotionally uh, uh, easy terrain to to be navigating all the time. Yeah. So it's yeah. It's, I mean, I have my moments though. for sure. But I want to say reading my book is when I feel I feel when I read from my book, I feel so integrated mm. and witnessed because you're reading witnessed. And the last event I did where my 
idol, <laughs> Isabel Yende. She introduced me at Book Passage in Corte Madera. And um, I guess it, it, to me, it was that experience again, experience very powerful and what you were saying where you felt very you felt seen and witnessed and acknowledged that was that was it for me (laughs) so i did watch um i didn't get to watch all of it but i I did watch uh, the video clip from from that reading and i got to see isabel do her intro view and uh, one of the things she said that i i wrote down because it, it it kind of harkened back to the conversation you and i had but it's also a big part of mixedness in general she had said uh, trauma is the thread running through the whole novel and mm-hmm. I, I wrote that down just because I don't know what it is about that that statement in general I always kind of think of like trauma as, as sort of a thread running through mixedness that even when you can be proud and excited and happy about your mixedness or even engaging with other mixed race people there's always that seed of trauma it, it has to be present in, in the, well for me anyway in this sort mm-hmm. of way of like remembering to keep me grounded in it and and don't lose sight of everything that comes before me. You know, I I, I tend to I'm Japanese. I tend to live in the past. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. So <laughs> that that statement that she made really really stuck with me about you know, what this experience of getting a chance to read your book will be, which I, for the audience, if you get a chance to read, to, to get the book, go to a local bookstore, preferably a person of color owned. Um, it takes a little bit longer to get it, but I'm excited. <laughs> I can't wait to get it. And I will have read it by the time uh, you have your reading here in Los Angeles. Yeah. Pasadena, I guess it's going to be. It's it's going to be. So the name of the book is Mostly White, just in case people miss that. And it is uh, I'm going to be reading in Pasadena of Romans uh, January 8th at seven. That's a Tuesday. So if you if you check out Romans, V-R-O-M-A-N-S bookstore events, I'll be there. I'd love to meet you. Especially some mixed people. Right. Because then I'll feel really at home and I'll really feel like I belong. (laughs) Right. So I'd love to see you. I wonder how you feel about when you do kind of catch them in the audience, which you did kind of say a little bit like your, you know, your eyes are are passing over the audience and you see little mixed faces staring back at you and you're just like, oh, my people are here. I, I feel like that too in these moments of... Like what I what I'm doing with militantly mixed started out for me. I needed to list. I needed to hear about mixed race people's experiences because it was something that was a gaping hole in my life. And I already know my story, so I need to hear other people's stories. And through the show, I've connected with so many people and I've heard so many different aspects of mixedness. You know, there is commiseration, but there's also just like, what that happened to you mm. happens a lot. And you know, I learned so much, and I I, I love these moments when. It exposes ignorance that I have because that that's a chance and opportunity for me to learn and grow and everything. And I, I wonder if for you, it's kind of the, the same thing. Like I, I did this for me and then I did it for mixed people. My primary directive is uh, sharing the mixed race experience for mixed race people so mm-hmm. that they feel reflected and represented and visible and heard and all those things. I happen to have a fairly decent sized white audience, which I'm secondarily excited about only because I've had some white people email me and say, oh, I didn't realize I was making this mistake or here I thought I was an ally and I've been messing up all this time. I'm going to try to be better. And these messages are very exciting and encouraging mm-hmm. also. Yeah. But at the same time, it's still not necessarily for them. But if it fixes them, I'm excited. 
<laughs> well, I, again, it's this when we have a conversation, when when we have a narrative, we have a place. Mixed people get to talk. I yeah. get to talk with you. We get to share. We're sharing experience. Then other people who perhaps aren't mixed, they can they can go, oh, you know, can open up the conversation, right? It can open yeah. up an experience that they haven't had and then, then they can have some empathy. And like, that's the whole, there's, in terms of the characters in the book, there are all different kinds of different characters, right? The four main women are mixed of, you know, black and Native American and Irish kind of mix. So, but what, there's, there's not one character that I'm trying to say, this person is better because they are this. I mean, they're all very human and they're all, they all got holes and, 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 and wounds and they're struggling. So my, I hate this word and I'm trying try to find another word, but hope. Okay. That's it. Hope. Okay. My hope, cause for lack of a better word is that when people read the book that they can, they, that they will perfect, perhaps have empathy for, for a character that's different than themselves. Yeah. And like when we have that, then that's when we can, it, it pushes us. It pushes us. It, it pushes our consciousness into someone else's experience. The more we have of that, the better at this point. Right. It does feel like we're living in a time where empathy isn't the biggest quality most people have. And it's not awesome that, um, that we have to scream so loud for our own humanity. Um, but that does tend to be, it does seem to be what's happening in a lot of spaces right now. So getting these moments of sharing something that does open people's eyes and hopefully does expand uh, who receives empathy from them, I think is is one of the most important things that we can be doing right now. And I think it has to come from your own place. Like we have to be shouting out on our own behalf because we can't sit around and expect other people to do it for us. And hopefully the more that somebody reads your book or listens to this podcast or hears this person's music or watches this person's mo- movies that we that everybody starts to pick up and and do their own project or business or or creative outlet that that expresses that mixedness and hopefully does add to somebody's empathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're out there and you have a vision or a dream or something you want to do, do it. Do it. it. Do it. So you and I have talked uh, offline. We <laughs> talked about how we we had this gap and we needed to fill it with our activity. You know, for, for you, you're, you're a poet before you actually come to the to the narrative story. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Is this your first published narrative or um, my poetry book was published in 2015. Temp words. Um, by Cosmo Press. And so, and I've had, I've been published in, my poetry has been published elsewhere in my short stories. And yeah, I had a play that, oh, my play, it's about passing. That would be a good yeah, topic that's, for this show. That's another topic we need to we need to get on. Yeah, yeah. Passing has become a part of of this story as well. I've I've had a few guests that have had this experience, and it's it's an area I was always curious about, but didn't have enough empathy for because I didn't I wasn't exposed to it. And so now, you know, not that I was cold or anything like that, but just that I didn't I didn't know how much people who were in the passing situation. Uh, needed embracing. Yeah. So this is this is what's interesting is that I sometimes have no clue if I'm passing or not. It really mm. sometimes because I'm very light. 
yet I look kind of racially ambiguous, right? Yeah, you do. So, so there are times, like, I just have no clue how people are reading me. It's funny. And it, it, I just, yeah. So, and then I just, I just kind of wait and see. Yeah, let's <laughs> wait to see up, what someone thinks. Pick up cues. It's like, yeah, so it's interesting. There's a, there, lately, there was this one time, uh, this woman asked me, well, what are you? And I looked at her and go, what do you want me to be? Right. You know, what are you? That was the other thing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's, yeah, that whole thing, what are you? And, oh, really? I don't see the black. Yeah. I get oh, that. Gosh. Oh, Color really? Don't even get I don't see. Really black? Oh, no. But I get that from white people. I get that from black people. But then sometimes I get from black people, oh, no, you look like, um, you look like um, my cousins or something like that. Like, right. you know, they're cousins that are mixed or what have you. So it's the what are you thing is strange or the colorblind thing is strange because they think that it is a compliment to us that they don't see what makes us unique or different or anything or they don't even or that they assume we don't want to be different or that they have the power to um to identify right me right like they have the power there it's their job to identify me now that's, um, that's why we create and why you have a podcast and why i write right you just got to get it out like mm-hmm. you have to get it out and 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 tell me how you feel about this, because it's not something I thought about until just this exact moment. I thought I was getting it out. I thought I was, you know, I thought I was expressing myself and I was working through my feelings. And, and then through this podcast, I've realized, oh, my gosh, I barely scratched the surface on some of some of the ways I feel about about things. But I the now that I'm getting to do this, I uh, there's even more power. Like there's even more. Oh, gosh, what is it? Uh, it's a weird thing of like more fire to keep going, but at the same time, it's like a cool fire because it's like validating and I'm feeling like both of these things are going on in my system at the same time. It's, it's both relief and, you know, fire to keep going. Do you feel that, um, I guess you did kind of say that when you say, when you're, when you're doing your reading, you, you kind of get that. Do you, do you feel that for everything that you create, it's, you have to keep going. There's still more that you need. Absolutely. I have, Absolutely. Yeah, there's more. Definitely more books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think when we first spoke, one of the the uh, things that I was talking about is like, I'm excited about the, you know, knowing that your books exist and, and knowing sure that there probably were other books. But uh, for whatever reason, I hadn't investigated down that path or I hadn't seen that many. There's only a few books that I actually have myself um, that I'm that I've read or am reading about mixedness. But the idea of your book made me excited because I'm like, I'm I'm writing for the day where I can walk into a bookstore and there's a whole shelf that's dedicated to mixed race, you know, like, do you think that could that could why couldn't there but we got to get there we got to be we got to encourage our other Mm. people to keep doing it right so right now I can walk into a bookstore and I can see the African-American section, right? You know, there's not a white section because the whole store is the white section, but there's like the Asian section and the Latin section. And one day I want to walk past and I want to be surprised by it too. I, I, I want to just be in a store and it's just sitting there, mixed race section, you know, like mixed mm-hmm. race stories or narratives or whatever. Yes, um, and why your, not? And your book would be on that shelf. Why not? I say, let's bring out the shelf. Let's make that shelf. <laughs> I'll just, just bring a shelf in from Ikea let's just and bring like, a walk shelf. it into a 
the store and be like, this is here now. <laughs> Bring the shelf and we'll find a space for it. Right. Oh, that's great. Wow, that's brilliant. Yes. Yeah, because why not? This is an experience. It is. This is an experience. There's some tools you got to develop to be mixed in this world. You gotta right. develop some tools. You, you really gotta do. have some medicine to keep going through this and, and keep strong and centered. Oh, you did oh, say yeah. something about that the first time we spoke. You talked about kind of creating your own medicine. Is that is that how you is that how you say it? Yeah, I do. So um I I have found my medicine that works for me and I think everybody has medicine that mm-hmm. works for them. For instance, um writing. I'm a singer. I I music is important. I also dance. Uh, meditation, being in community with others, uh, nature. So these things that I see, this is medicine. And in order for me to keep going, I got to make sure I I take my medicine. (laughs) (laughs) And it's often the daily thing. Uh, So we all all need to find that. We need to find what's going to keep us more than just survive we need to keep you know we need to keep our vibration up yeah we need to keep it up because what's happening in this world right now they they want you know they want to bring us down right and in order to keep moving forward and taking the actions that we need to take either individually and and as a you know as a group to change things we got to keep we got to we have to have some strong medicine you got to keep taking it. Oh, I'm so excited that we connected. I just haven't had this kind of a conversation yet where so, so far my experience on the show, primarily, not entirely, but primarily has been because I'm the one doing the show. I'm sort of accidentally an expert. And so I'm there helping the people talking because the people who have gravitated towards the show so far have been seeking that medicine uh-huh. through through the show and inadvertently through me. And there's been a couple people who have been super empowered and and everything like that. And so it's just conversation. But this conversation, Allison, um, I I don't know how to say it. Like, I I, we're just have (laughs) I'm trying to figure it out. Okay, so it's it's something like what probably white people feel (laughs) on a regular basis. They can just have a conversation about being themselves, just whatever. But because we're mixed, our context is mixed, and we seem to be at similar levels of comfort and confidence with, within our mixedness. And so we're just talking about that level, and I have never had that before, really. Okay. That's that's awesome. Yeah. I've had glimpses of it, but there's something special about this in particular that I I don't have a I don't have a way to describe it. It's I'm I love the way that I love the things that you say. <laughs> oh well, I'm I am so it's gonna this I have a feeling this conversation is gonna gonna resonate with me for a long time. It has that kind of feeling where yeah. you're um, you don't have to hide. There was something that you said. I hope well, I hope it was okay if I if I repeat it. You said something about when we first talked about. You came out of the closet of being mixed, like you right. came out. Yeah. And I really relate to that. I describe after, it as after, that. And, and, you know, I got to tell you that I think that this book is like, okay, look, and I'm black, so leave me alone. Right. You know, like, I'm coming out. Right. I'm mixed, and I'm black, and I'm Native American, and, I, and this is just this sense of relief. Yeah. I guess what I have is relief. Yes. Because uh, in so many ways, this book is, is a coming out. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And of my ancestry, my ancestors, and a mixed narrative, which is fiction and also part of my experience, mm-hmm. you know, 
as a mixed person. So there's a lot of relief in that. So, so we are kind of this hour flown by crazy. Yeah, fast. it has. Um, but we're, we're getting close to, to the end. And there is a question that I realized throughout the a lot of this show that we end up talking so much about trauma and that not always do we end in such a way that is healing or an attempt to heal or something like that. And and just to kind of set us on a, on a path where like we've now we know the story, story we have a we have a sense of of the good and the bad but what mostly do you love about being mixed race i am never bored <laughs> <laughs> that's the first thing that came to my mind that's awesome <laughs> true it certainly isn't boring um, it isn't between the people trying to figure out um what are you bingo and um and, all. and then like you trying to figure out who you are and then all your ancestors mm -hmm. and figure all them out right, right? <laughs> i mean holy my goodness you don't have time okay. to be bored all right so if, before we wrap up though there is there any other types of things that you you want to share get, with the audience sure i'm going to plug my website okay it's, mo it's www.mostlywhitenovel.com you can go on there um order the book through IndieBound or through tory house press you just click on you know some icons if you want to order the book and also it has a list of my events um let's see i'll be at roman uh january 8th and that's in pasadena and i'll be there at seven o'clock so please come out mixed people and if you're not mixed come out too and it would be great to share uh, my book with you and for every person who buys the book also buy a book for another mixed race person in your life and oh. let them get a chance to have that exposure because i think it's not only that we seek it, but we don't realize that we need to share it. We need to spread this stuff around because you don't know what the other mixed race people in your life are missing and can't talk about yet. Okay. Yes. So buy two copies, share one with a mixed race friend. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's really nice. Thank you. Yeah. All uh, right. What about other social media? Do you have a, do you have like a Twitter or Instagram? Oh, or anything okay. Like that? Here's an Instagram. Ali Blamit, A L I B L A M I T, Ali Blamit, and then uh, I'm on uh, I'm on Facebook. Just go to Temp Words, and yeah, I'm not I, I can't I'm I'm not on Twitter. So before before we wrap up, though, uh, I am going to attend that that January eighth event, and um, I'm hoping that maybe we can get a little bit of a snippet of your reading uh, so that we can sort of share it on the future episode and and kind of tie it back to this episode so that people can actually hear because I think that I think it's also important not just that we talk about what we're doing but we actually get to hear what we're doing so yeah oh well I really appreciate that that is just fabulous and I can't wait to meet you in person that's me gonna too. be great I'm excited yeah thank you so much for oh. joining me on this on this show I feel like you there's a total Totally different element that you've brought into the the show than we've gotten a chance to experience so far. Which I think every episode does a version of that, but this is this is a different level than um, even I was anticipating it going into. So I'm I'm really excited. Thank yeah. you again so much for joining me, and I will promote and promote your uh, your reading at Romans, and hopefully we can get some more LA folks out there. That'd be great, show. and thank you so much for everything for doing your work for 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 this having this podcast for mixed people. Yay. Yay, mixed people. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast, produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, the one. 
You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantly mixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantly mixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.